Take your Bibles with me this morning and uh, go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter number 12. And obviously, when we think of Romans chapter 12, we first think of the first two verses, right? Most of us know those verses by heart. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, a call to be a sacrifice, to be transformed, and not to be conformed to the world. And, and we're very familiar with those two verses. Uh, we're not going to look, look at those two verses this morning, though. Look at, look at some later verses here in Romans chapter 12, and and, and, you know, as Paul in Romans chapter 12, as he opens up and he calls us to a life of sacrifice and a life of, of, of transformation, as he calls us to that life, the rest of the chapter, he kind of goes on and tells us how to live that life, what that life looks like, what kind of transformation needs to take place. And uh, one of the things that Paul deals with, not just in the book of Romans, but in many places in Scripture as well, that we need to have transformed is our love. Um, I think Paul would say that many of us, probably all of us, it will just lump us all together here, are kind of phony lovers. Um, our love is not very real a lot of times. It's not genuine compared to what we would have defined for us in Scripture. In fact, that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to deal with in the few verses that we're going to look at this morning. But you know, just in case you were not aware of this, guys, uh, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. So you do have this evening, uh, if that caught you off guard. Um, but, you know, Valentine's Day, especially here in America, is, you know, it's, it's recognized as a day of love. It's, it's a day for remembering vows. It's a day for buying cards, for writing romantic notes. And, and for some, it's, it's a day for desperately trying to win the affection of a, of a male or, or, or a female with flowers and all kinds of fattening foods, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of how we celebrate Valentine's Day here in America. But, you know, that's not really what we see when we talk about love in Scripture. In fact, love here, it's interesting. Our culture likes to talk a lot about love, right? But with all the talk about love, we've really lost the value of what true love actually is. True love, not as defined by our culture, but as defined by our God, who in and of himself is love. You know, one of the figures who's usually associated with Valentine's Day is Cupid, right? Cupid's always played a role in the celebration of love, and, and, and he's kind of known as this mischievous winged child whose, whose arrows kind of pierce the hearts of his victims, causing them to fall deeply in love, right? In fact, in ancient Greece, he was known as Eros, the, son, the young son of Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty. 
To the Romans, he was known as Cupid, and his mother was Venus. But, you know, based on Cupid's Greek name, we kind of get the idea of how our world understands love. There are different Greek words that are used for love, and you've probably heard these Greek words. Obviously, agape being that unconditional love, and phileo being that brotherly love, and, and, and then eros being that more sexual kind of, uh, uh, sensual kind of love. And, and, and the Greek word that is for Cupid is, is eros, which kind of gives us a pretty good idea of how our world views love and how love is often viewed on Valentine's Day. A love that is often self-seeking. A love that is often focused on self-gratification. Of course, though, we realize that Cupid really doesn't have much to do with the genuine and the sincere kind of love that we find described for us in Scripture. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to see and to look at, well, what then is sincere love? You know, there are multiple passages in Scripture that we could go to in order to find out, in order to, to get a description of what true and sincere love looks like. But this morning, I want us to look at what Paul tells us about love in Romans chapter 12 with the recognition that this is within the context of me needing to transform my life. That as I offer myself as a living sacrifice to God, there are things that I need to recognize that need changed, that need transformed. And one of those things that Paul says that needs transformed is the way that I love. Because my natural way of loving is not the biblical godly way of loving. So if you'll look with me, beginning in verse 9 of Romans chapter 12, we'll read just a few verses here. We really could read all the way down through verse 21, because beginning in verse 9, down through 21, I, I believe Paul is dealing with the topic of love all the way down through. I actually think verse 9 is kind of the heading for the rest of, uh, for, for 10 through 21. But here's what Paul says, beginning in verse 9. He says this, he says, let love be without dissimulation. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, Continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. As I said, we really could keep reading as Paul continues to talk about the topic of love, but we'll stop there for this morning as, as we're just going to focus on verses 9 through 11. But what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12 is a love that is empty of self-fulfillment. It's a love that, that is empty of, of, of selfishness and, and self-gratification. Paul is talking about a love that is true and genuine, and Paul is talking about a love that is really the epitome of genuine Christianity. It's interesting that after speaking about the spiritual gifts and the genuine use of service for the Lord, which he just talked about in the verses previous, 
that Paul now spends some time touching on love and the genuine use of real love. Why is that? Well, I think one of the reasons is this. Because Paul has pointed out that not everyone has the same gift. We're all gifted in different areas, but he, he points out now that although we all have different gifts, we all have access to the same genuine love to use those gifts with. And when Paul addresses love, he addresses something that I think we all can agree with because I think, I think we see that Paul is addressing a problem that comes as a result of sin. In fact, we see it all the way back at the beginning of the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered into the world, immediately it had a damaging effect on relationships. It affected the relationship between Adam and Eve. It affected the relationship between Adam and God. It affected the relationship between Eve and God. It, it even affected the relationship between us and this world that we live on. Sin had an immediate effect on relationships, and, and really, sin always does that. So maybe we could say that the overarching theme of the Bible is really to show us how, is, how, how God's love restores genuine relationship through genuine love. But the problem that Paul is addressing is, is that because of indwelling sin, because I am a sinner... My default mode of love is selfish, not sacrificial. My, my default mode of love is, is to think of myself and not to sacrifice myself for God and others. And I said this already, I think Paul would say that naturally we're all phony lovers. The Apostle John kind of unmasks our, our tendency towards fake love when he writes this in 1 John 4, verse 20. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And John just kind of pulls the mask off of the reality of what our love is often like. You know, Romans 12, as, as, as this passage that we're in, it, it's a big section of Scripture, and it, it really can be a difficult one to tackle. In fact, John MacArthur said this about this chapter. He says, it's a difficult section to outline because it appears in the form of an ever-expanding circle. And, and, and if you read down through verses 9 through 21, it's really true. It, it's a difficult section to outline. It's almost like the Apostle Paul is just throwing out a bunch of random phrases. It can also almost be like reading through some of the Proverbs, where it's like every phrase is on a different topic. And, and it can feel that way unless you come back to verse 9 and you view verse 9 as I believe it should be viewed as the heading of verses 10 through 21. And so in order to help us break this up into a manage, manageable size this morning, as I said, we're not going to go through verse 21. We'll just go through verse 11. What I want to do this morning is to drive home this point, and that is this, that God calls his followers to understand and to follow the practice of true, genuine, sincere love. 
And in Romans 12, we find a how-to guide on how to have a God-like love. And I only have two points this morning with some sub-points, but two points, two main points. And it's simply this, what love is and what love is not. Now, we'll start with the negative this morning so that we can finish with the positive. And, 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 and the negative, this first point, what love is not, is, is going to be a little bit more topical. And then our second point, we'll, we'll pull directly from Romans chapter 12. But as I think of this idea of what love is not and, 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 and what love is, do, do you realize this morning that it is possible to act loving but not actually have the real thing? It's true. In fact, that is why Paul says in verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. Now, that's not a word that we really use much anymore. I, I like how the ESV and some others translate it. They put it this way, let love be genuine. Let it be real. And what Paul is saying here is to let love be sincere, hence the title of the message, Sincere Love. Now, our English word, and you've maybe heard this before, our English word sincere comes from two Latin words, which means this. It means without wax. And so really, what Paul is saying here, when he says, let your love be without dissimulation, he's saying, let your love be without wax. You say, what does that mean? Well, here's what that means. In that culture, in that time, when Paul was writing, it, there obviously it was a dishonest culture, just like the culture that we live in today. But dishonest merchants would fill a cracked pot or a crack in a pot with wax. And then they would glaze over the crack to make it look like it was a perfectly good pot, and they would price it as if it was a perfectly good pot. And really, as you went into the, 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 the stands or whatever to, to buy a pot, you couldn't tell the difference. They would glaze over that wax, and, and they would make it look really nice, and, and, and then they would sell that cracked pot to an unsuspecting buyer. But of course, you know what happens when they got home. That buyer would get home and put hot water in that pot. And of course, wax and hot water don't go together very well. And that wax would begin to melt. And that buyer would begin to realize that what they bought was not a genuine or a sincere pot. It was a flawed, cracked pot. It was a fake. It was a, it was a phony. And that is the word that Paul uses here to, to describe the, the kind of love that he, he wants us to have. He says, let love be genuine. Don't let it have any cracks in it. J.B. Phillips says this. He says, let us have no imitation of Christian love. 
You know, as I think of this phrase, there are a few phrases that come to mind of what fake love is or what love is not. And what I want to do here in this first point, I said it'll be a little bit more topical, is, is I want to look, I want to bring out four phrases that I think we hear often in our culture today, maybe not with the exact words that I'll use, but four phrases in our culture today for what is often presented as love, but I believe Paul would say is not love, or at least it's not genuine love on its own. And no doubt you've heard these phrases, the first phrase being something like this, and, and I'm sure you've heard this before, well, I love you because you are attractive. Don't we hear that in our culture? All over the place today. Now, understand, it's not my goal to give some harsh dating advice this morning, and, and I'm not going to tell you that there is some moral virtue about marrying someone that you don't find attractive, right? I wouldn't recommend that. In fact, fortunately, that isn't how God made us. And there's an entire book in the Bible called Song of Solomon to prove it. Nevertheless, we do learn in Scripture that God demonstrates his love towards those who are unlovely and unattractive. And ultimately, ultimately, he proved this by showing us that he loved us when we were unlovely and unattractive. Now, before I give you a verse that I want to pull out, I want us to hesitate a minute and note that Romans chapter 12 begins a new discourse in the book of Romans. Right? In Romans 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul has just fleshed out a, a theological argument on the basis of Christianity. And then in chapter 12, he says, based on, based on chapters 1 through 11, that's why verse 1 says, says, I beseech you, therefore, based off of everything in chapters 1 through 11, here's how you respond. You say, well, what has Paul talked about in chapters 1 through 11? Here's what he's talked about, how unlovely we are. In chapters 1 through 11, Paul has pointed out how we are sinners and, and, and how we fall so short of God's glory, but he also has written this. But God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were unattractive, ugly sinners, God loved us. You see, love can and it should, be, it should exist without any attraction going on. In fact, this is precisely the point that John Newton makes in his, in his famous hymn, Amazing Grace. He says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saves a, what? Wretch like me. The original translation of that was actually not wretch, but a worm like me. It's not amazing that we would love God. What is amazing is that God would love us. And God doesn't love us because we're charming or winsome or because we deserve it. God doesn't love us because we've somehow shown this incredible potential. He loves us because he has chosen to do so. 
You see, love, I think the Apostle Paul would say, based solely on attractiveness, and and I, I add that word solely, based solely on attractiveness, is not the real thing. Love is not that. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. I love you because you're nice to me. I love you because you're nice to me. And once again, nothing wrong with loving people because they're nice to us. In fact, the opposite would be a little, a little unnatural, wouldn't it? It's not my goal to, to disparage this kind of love since God has wired us in a way to be naturally drawn to those who love us. In fact, 1 John 4.19 says this, we love him, why? Because he first loved us. Nevertheless, there's nothing Christian or godly about loving those who are nice to us. Because it's something that any human is capable of. And this is what Jesus was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. There, there's, he, Jesus says there's nothing commendable in loving those who are good to you. Anyone can do that. Matthew 5, Jesus says this to the Pharisees. He says, for if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans do the same? And if ye, shall, if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans do so? What's the point Jesus is making here? He's saying this. He's saying, listen, even the lowest and, and, and the cruelest and, and, and the most wicked of society are capable of loving those who are nice to them. There's nothing special about that. The publicans in, in that time, they, they, were, they were regarded as the scoundrels of their day. They weren't nice people to hang around. They turned their backs on their own nation. They stole from their own countrymen. They, 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 they were capable of doing some of the most wicked things. Yet Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, even they are capable of loving those who are nice to them. There's nothing commendable about that. And Jesus asked the Pharisees, if you can do that, well, what difference does that make you? Nothing. Even the worst of humanity is capable of being nice to someone that's nice, again, nice to them. And again, there, there's always some type of reciprocal love going on, but it's never the basis of true love. That's never the foundation of what we find in Scripture as being true love. It's a worldly love that's a give and a take kind of love. Well, I'll love you if you love me. I give a little with the exception of getting, with the expectation of getting something back in return. And, and, And I believe, again, Paul would say, that's not what I'm talking about here. That's not genuine. What about this phrase? I love you because I need you. I love you because I need you. Again, this is natural. It's a natural kind of love. Children have this kind of love for parents, and rightfully so. Adults have this kind of love for each other, and again, rightfully so. Friends can be there to help, uh, help pull us through difficult circumstances, and, and we could express that as love. And, and I think it's okay for us to think of it as love in those terms, but again, it's not the basis of love. In fact, if love is based on need, 
then what happens when the need is gone? So is the love. God does not need us, which makes me very glad that love is not based on need. Because if love was simply based on need, God would not love me. In fact, I think this is why the Apostle Paul would appeal zealously in verse 11 of Romans chapter 12. And this is one of those phrases that maybe we look at and we say, how does this fall into the category of love here? And we often look at this verse and we read not slothful in business and we think about the idea of our occupation, our job. But I think Paul, while he could be referring to that, I think he's referring to a more broad aspect within this context of love. He says not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You could actually translate verse 11 of Romans 12 this way, never lacking in zeal, but always keeping your spiritual fervor. And I think that applies well to love because Satan has distorted our zeal for genuine love as he has replaced it with a sexual lust. John Piper defines lust this way. He says, lust is a sexual desire minus honor and holiness. I like that definition. It's a sexual desire minus honor and holiness. It covets what God says is off limits. He, said, he goes on, he says, we see that when love lusts for an object or a person, that object or person is not the goal. The goal is satisfaction of my needs as I see them. But you know, one of the most notable, most noticeable marks of Christian love is that it retains its enthusiasm and zeal in the face of all manners of obstacles. It never lets off the steam, so to speak. Or, or maybe we would put it this way. It never gets past the honeymoon stage. False love says... I just love you because you're attractive or because you're nice to me or because I need you. One more, and this is a very popular phrase in our culture today. I love you because you let me be myself. Man, can I tell you, Satan is using that phrase in our world today. I love you because you let me be myself. And if that doesn't go against Scripture, I don't know what does. Everything about that goes against the teaching of Scripture. See, this is a kind of love you feel towards people who let you be comfortable. Maybe we could think of it with this phrase, I love you because you don't judge me. Now, I know this can be a bit touchy. It's, it's, it's not quote-unquote fun to be around people who are bold enough to tell me when I'm wrong. I don't know that any of us like to be confronted and told that we're wrong, right? I mean, it's, it's within our sin nature to not like that. And, and, and typically our response to someone who loves us enough to come and tell us that we're wrong is, is to think something like, well, you know, I don't know that I really like you anymore. Or I definitely don't like the fact that you just pointed out my flaws. 
But scripture would teach that the kind of love that just lets me be comfortable is not love at all. Why? Well, because I have an agenda, and my agenda is that I want to be left alone. But we can confidently conclude that that is not real love. After all, we've already been told by Paul that real love is, and genuine love is rooted in who God is. God is love, and God would say in Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That's love. A novice once asked Michelangelo how he could carve these beautiful statues. And Michelangelo pointing to an angel of stone that he had just carved. He says this, he says, well, what I did is that I saw an angel in the marble and then I took away all the stone that didn't look like the angel. Makes it sound so simple, right? I saw this stone, this unfinished stone, and and in it I saw an angel. And all I did is chip away the little things that weren't a part of the angel. And you know, I think, likewise, God wants us to be free of ourselves so that God can come in and do this to us. As Christians, we are to be little Christs. We're to model Christ. People are to look at us and see Christ. And, and so it's, it's like God looks at us and he says, I see Christ there. I see my image. Now I just need to chip away at the stones around it. And he uses people to do that. But so often we respond to those people that come in and try to help and correct and confront And our response is, well, you obviously don't love me because you won't let me live the way I want to live. God's going to sandpaper our character flaws. He's going to chisel away at our sin. Is that unloving? Of course not. In fact, it would be much more unloving to leave us as we are than to change us into his image. That's true love. But again, because of our indwelling sin, our default mode is that of selfishness. It's not to sacrifice in our love for God and others. In fact, again, we are naturally phony lovers. True love is seldom, if if ever seen really in our relationships, we're so bad at it. We find ourselves loving because we like that person. We, we love because that person lets us be who we are. We even th- say things like, just be you. As if that's a compliment. But Paul would say that's not real love. Which brings us back full circle to our text. That's what love is not. And again, I said that was kind of the topical section of this message. And we could throw lots of other phrases out there, but I think those highlight some of the major ones that we hear in our culture today. 
So then the question is, well, if that's what love is not, if it's not based off of those things, then what is true love? In in a culture that doesn't understand what true love is, in in a culture that doesn't know God and doesn't know his love, what should we as Christians understand love to be? What is it based upon? What is it rooted in? And the Apostle Paul would tell us here in these verses in Romans chapter 12, As he tells us to let love be real, let love be genuine. So what is true love? And Romans 12, 9 and following spell out in detail for us what God's good and acceptable and perfect will looks like in loving relationships. Let me make one note before we go into these sub points. I think it's important to note that consistently throughout the New Testament, we are taught that love is not an uncontrollable feeling that comes over me once in a while. All right, as much as my wife and I, you know, we enjoy going to Disney and different things, that, that's a Disney kind of love, and, and that's not the biblical kind of love. All right, hopefully we have enough discernment to know that. Love is not something that we fall into. That's not New Testament love. In fact, what New Testament love is, is it's actually something that is commanded. It's something to be obeyed, not something to follow. Jesus clearly stated this in John 13, 44. He said, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. A new commandment, a rule, that I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. The supreme demonstration of Jesus' love was when he came and he died on the cross and bore God's wrath on our behalf, not because we were deserving of it. He did it in obedience to his Father, and now Jesus says, in obedience to my obedience to do the Father's will, you now go and love as I have loved. It's a command. And in our text, Paul spells out for us four aspects of biblical love that can be seen in the lives of those who are actually doing as Jesus commanded. And so here's what he says what love is. First of all, he says, true love must be without hypocrisy. True love must be without hypocrisy. Again, verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. You know, Paul would not have written this unless he knew that there was a strong tendency, even amongst believers, to put on a mask of love to cover our hearts that are full of jealousy and manipulation and even hatred. In fact, maybe the epitome of love with hypocrisy in Scripture is Judas. As before Judas would leave to betray Jesus, he would do what? Kiss him. Outwardly, it looked like he cared about Jesus. Inwardly, we're told that his heart was full of hatred and guile, he's actually called the son of the devil. 
You know, the Greek word that Paul uses here, I, I told you the, the Latin word that, that we, we would use, but the Greek word that Paul uses here is the word that would also have been used of masks that were worn by actors who would, who would put these masks over their face to present an image of something that they entirely were not. And, and they would parade across the stage as... as, as a hypocrite. And my, is that not a story of many within the walls of our churches today? We're very good at putting on masks. As we walk up to folks, oh, it's, it's, it's great to see you today, but in our minds we're thinking, eh, I could have done without seeing you today, you know? And let's be honest, that, that, that that's, temptation is real for all of us at times. But Paul says, listen, don't let your love be that of a mask. Don't, don't let it be that, that that's of hypocrisy. And Paul says that our love for one another is not to be a ma- ma- fake mask-like role play, but it's to be the real thing. True love should not be with hypocrisy. And can I take a moment just to say this? Because there, there's another side to this as well. And, and, and often those outside the church look at those inside the church and call them hypocrites. And in some cases, maybe, maybe rightfully so. But a lot of times the reason that those inside the church are called hypocrites is because those outside the church have a view of love that is not what love is. Now, we have to be careful because we are to love without hypocrisy. But we also have to make sure that we do not, we are not basing our love based off what the world would base their love just because we might be called hypocrites because of it. Our love is based off of scripture and what Christ would say and what is true and what is genuine. And so Christ says this, Paul says this, true love must be without hypocrisy. He also says this, he says, true love must be holy. And this is, this is where the hypocrisy idea often comes in. True love must be holy. Paul goes on in verse 9. It's interesting, within this context of love, Paul says, not only do you love, but you also hate. True love hates. It's true. Look at the last part of verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor, hate that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. In the Greek, the words abhor and cling, they're participles that show you how to love without hypocrisy. In other words, biblical love is a discerning love. I love God and I love God's people, but I hate those things that are against God and I hate those things that go against God's people. I hate sin. That's why love can't just be something like, well, I love you because you let me be comfortable. Because love has to be holy. And if I'm living in sin, I'm not, a person's not loving me by letting me live in sin. 
Paul demonstrated true love in this way in Philippians 1.9, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment or discernment. You see, biblical love never endorses or aligns itself with or encourages other attitudes that are evil. And rather, what it does is it embraces only that which is good and holy. And Paul's words here imply that there is an objective, a knowable standard of what is evil and what is good. And where do we find that? We find that in the word of God. Now, I'll I'll give an example in our culture today, but I want to preface this example by saying this. We often pick on this example, but there are many others out there. This is not the only one, okay? But we live in a culture, even, even amongst Christians, who have decided that, well, and again, this goes back to this idea of what love is not. And, 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 and we've decided that, that, that we can change the truth of God's word. And what God has clearly stated is wrong. And here's the example like homosexuality. And again, it's not my goal to pick on one thing this morning because we could have a long list of things this morning but it's one that is prevalent in our culture today. So I'll point it out. The the sin of homosexuality. We have kind of decided, and and I, I speak of our culture broadly, that, well, you know what? I think it's more loving to let them be them and to live their lifestyle. No, don't get me wrong. We ought to love them and care for them and treat them as image bearers of God because that's what they are. But we despise the sin. Because scripture despises it. And God despises it. And the most loving thing we can do is share God's truth with them in love. In love. We live in a culture where there's a great divide, it would seem, from the truth. It's like the book of Judges where, where every man does what is right in his own eyes. And no longer is there a standard bearer of what is true and right. But Paul says, listen, true, genuine, sincere love abhors that which God calls evil evil, and clings to that which God calls good. Thirdly, and I'm almost done, true love must be brotherly. It must be brotherly. You see, Paul's next command is not a suggestion to try when I'm in a good mood to love other people. It does involve our emotions, but it's not about how I feel. He says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. And here Paul uses this word phileo from which we get our Greek word Philadelphia. And I've said this before, uh, they should rename that city, okay? Because it doesn't, it doesn't represent brotherly love. But This Greek word refers to the natural love among brothers and gives the idea of a family affection. In other words, Paul says, you are brothers and sisters. James Boyce would say this. He says, in respect for the love of our Christian brothers and sisters, we are to be marked by a devotion that is characteristic of a loving, close-knit, 
mutually supportive family. You know, it's kind of sad when the only interactions that some believers have with others in their local church is when we gather in a church service. How unlike the churches of the New Testament that we read where they met together daily. In fact, Paul even implores them to do it even more as they see the end times approaching. That that they needed to be together more often, not not less often. And and we're not necessarily talking about uh, a a corporate worship service like this. But but Paul says, listen, listen. as the days get closer and, and, and the world waxes worse and worse, you need your Christian and brothers and sisters more. You need to be around them more for the encouragement and the fellowship, not less. And he calls us to this idea of, of brotherly love. All who are part of God's family need one another. And true love must be brotherly. And then finally, true love must be displayed selflessly. Must be displayed selflessly. This is a hard one. Where Paul calls us not to seek honor for ourselves, but to genuine, genuinely rejoice when others receive honor that we don't. Paul says at the end of verse 10, in honor, preferring one another. The Greek word here means to lead or to go before. It's actually this idea of of you you going ahead and pointing back to the person behind that is raised up on shoulders or something like in a parade. And you're going ahead and you're saying, no, no, don't look at me. Look at them. Look at them back here. Let me raise them up. That's what the Greek word is talking about here. That as a Christian, my love is, is, is not to be motivated by myself receiving glory, but my love is to be displayed selflessly where I am pointing back and I'm saying, no, no, it's not, it's not about what I did. Look at what they did. Look at what they accomplished. Give them praise. They're the important ones. I'm just here to point out what they did. And Paul is saying that in everything we do, we make sure we are recognizing what others are doing. In a sense, we could say Paul is issuing a friendly competition where he's saying, try to treat others not as you wish to be treated, but better than you wish to be treated. Imagine if that was our attitude, if we were just always trying to outdo one another in kindness and and, and in generosity, So you do something nice for someone else and then that person's like, well, I got to top that, so I'm going to do something nicer for them. And and then you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And and before you know it, we're arguing over who's going to clean the toilets. Say, that's never happened before. Well, probably not because we aren't very good lovers. Oftentimes, we don't have this attitude of sincere, genuine love where we look for an attitude to push others ahead of ourselves. You know, it's shameful to think what others or what we will do to get our own way. But imagine what could be accomplished if we took that same zeal for our own way 
and we applied it to making sure others got their way. Let love be genuine. Let it be real. Don't be fake. Christian life's not about pretending to love people when in your heart there's bitterness and strife and hatred or malice. In fact, Jesus himself commanded us to love one another, but he also said if you can't love someone properly, if you can't love your neighbor, then leave your gift at the altar, go fix the problem so that you can love them properly, and then come back. I'll add this as we finish. As far as I know, and this is a good thing, the Bible never commands us to like everyone, but it does command us to love everyone. You say, what's the difference? Well, liking someone is a matter of mutual personalities and enjoyment of similar things. And those are kinds of the things that we build. It's the basis of our strong and close friendships. But loving those that I may not choose to be my close friends means that I genuinely care for them and I'm committed to help them even if we don't have some of these other things in common. Say, how do I do this? Number one, I need to flee from self and run to God. Number two, I need to focus on Christ's love for me. Get this. This kind of love is all rooted and the example that Christ set. It's all rooted in what Christ said. Paul says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. What's my motivation for loving others? God's love for me, which is unconditional. He sent his own son to die on the cross when I was his enemy. He revealed his love to us when I didn't deserve it. And I need to follow God's leading, God's example, Christ's example completely. And listen, when I follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life, we're told that we will not do the deeds of the flesh, but instead, his fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, will grow in us. What's one of the fruits of the Spirit? In fact, the very first one, love. Love. Valentine's Day is coming up, and our world will celebrate it with all their different ways of celebrating it. And don't get me wrong, there's, there's nothing wrong with Valentine's Day. In fact, it is a Christian holiday. But for us as believers, it looks different, or at least it should. Because our love is not founded and based upon those things that the world would place as their basis, their foundation for love. But it's based upon that which is genuine and true and is set by the example that Christ has given to us. I hope as we examine our hearts and our lives and our love, that we would seek to have a love that is true, genuine, sincere. Father, I thank you for the love that you have